This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Harbin and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Well, while we're waiting for something to be published... We're not going to talk about that something, we're going to talk about something else. Yesterday, the Foreign Affairs Committee published some emails, one of which suggested that the Prime Minister had indeed given personal authorisation for the evacuation from Kabul of animals and staff from the Nauzad Animal Charity, something he had previously claimed he had not done. James, the Prime Minister has responded to that, these emails today, and what's he said? He said it's total rhubarb. Now, one isn't quite entirely sure what rhubarb means in this context. I think it's designed to imply that it's total nonsense, but without saying that it's total nonsense. And I think this is quite tricky because there are these these uh, there are these emails that came out yesterday. There are more emails that people have flagged today, all suggesting that. Number 10, you know, people were trying to find out what number 10 wanted to do about this. There's also the fact that came out last night that the Prime Minister's PPS, Trudy Harrison, was kind of getting in touch with airlines about this issue and talking about it with them. She says she was acting as a constituency MP. It is quite hard to see what her constituency interest is beyond various people emailing her saying, why don't we get the animals out of Afghanistan? It's not like the kind of charity was based in her constituents or anything anything else like that and then further adding to the confusion is that Dominic Dyer who is a animal welfare activist is saying that you know Laura Koonsberg has reported that he is saying that the Prime Minister was involved and the Prime Minister should be proud of what he did so it is all getting rather confusing there was a question today in the House of Lords because while Boris Johnson only ever denied being involved in uh, broadcast interviews Lord Goldsmith did deny being involved in the House of Lords and there was a question about that in the House of Lords today Zach Goldsmith didn't take the question himself Lord True did uh, and I think that various people in the House of Lords feel that if you are being accused of misleading the House you should come and, and say why you didn't Lord True argument, argument is that these emails do not constitute proof I think though that this is the situation is so confused right now that there is a clear need for an explanation as to how so many people got it into their head that number 10 wanted this to happen if the prime minister had no interest in this question and i i think because uh if the prime minister is right that he had no that, that you know he had no involvement at all in this i think there is there is a question about what is going on with the processes of government that so many people thought he did. So one way or the other, there is, there is a need for a clear and simple explanation as to what happened. Katie, this has obviously been rumbling on as an issue since last August, far longer, in fact, than the allegations of lockdown parties in Downing Street. Could it get more serious for the Prime Minister, potentially even than the parties? I mean, in theory, it has the potential to, but at the same time, there's quite a lot of evidence now which appears to point to the fact that the Prime Minister was involved in some way and yet you have the Prime Minister using novel words to try and batter off. It's quite clear the government don't want to say that they were involved and the line is still going to be we 
Boris Johnson did not authorise this. So unless there's going to be a text from Boris Johnson, an email directly from Boris Johnson, I mean, I'm not sure what else you need to... The, the level of pressure right now, they're still bouncing it off. And that involves the Prime Minister's PPS at the time, Trudy Harrison, acting as though she, um, you know, was acting on behalf of, of the Prime Minister. There's been a story... Um, by the journalist Kate McCann saying that Trudy Harrison contacted a company that could help with potentially with the operation to remove the pets and kept talking about the boss and the person in that conversation was left with a clear implication that Boris Johnson was authorising all this. I think it's particularly tricky for Zach Goldsmith given that there is an email that he has penned in which he seems saying after the Prime Minister agreed to this and, and he has since said that but then you don't massively get the sense that despite the pressure, Downing Street think that they are under pressure on this. And without a further smoking gun, I think we're just going to see more fobbing off. So the bigger issue, I think, is does this and a series of other incidents mean that fewer and fewer people trust Number 10 and what the press office puts out and perhaps what the Prime Minister says? I think potentially yes. In terms of this leading to an apology in the House, I don't know what James thinks. I... I can't quite see that happening with what's currently out there. So Boris Johnson didn't say it in the House of Commons, and that, I think, is the... I think if he did say it in the House of Commons, he would be coming under much more pressure, I think. But I think there is a, a real problem, as Katie says here, which is, I think that, to be kind, there needs to be an explanation for how so many people got the wrong idea of what was going on if he really was not involved. I mean, you know, I mean, how did this happen uh, is, is a valid question. I also think that there is, I mean, the, the Boris Johnson always has said that, you know, people should be proud of the Afghan evacuation of how many people got out. And I don't think anyone, when they criticise what happened, is doubting the bravery and the heroism of the soldiers involved uh, and the other military personnel who, who were acting often heading out to help bring people into the airport under conditions of extreme risk. But I think there is something strange here, which is I don't think the people who were, lots of people who came out on that flight would have been considered high risk. And undoubtedly people who were left behind in Afghanistan, who tragically we have found were at high risk and who helped the British or broader NATO effort there. And I think that we still haven't quite, as a country, come to terms with the ways in which we failed those who help us. And I think that will be a lingering problem because people will be less prepared to help NATO members, NATO countries uh, in these kinds of endeavours if they think that they cannot be relied upon. And I think that the really dangerous precedent that was set in Afghanistan is that. I think there are obviously geopolitical reasons why Vladimir Putin is pushing around in Ukraine and pushing the boundaries. But I think that some of the message sent by the scuttle from Afghanistan has been a factor in that too. And I think at the very least, if you look at the correspondence from now regarding pen filing, if we decide to go with the rhubarb comments and, you know, the Prime Minister just had no idea, despite all this evidence, which does suggest the opposite, it still looks as though he's not really in charge of a very chaotic government and number 10 operation, which is exactly the concern many of the Tory MPs who are currently uh, having doubts about his future are grappling with. And the sense that there is a lot of disorder in Downing Street, that Boris Johnson has 
struggled since arriving to work a, a way of a governing that works for him with vote leave there was control but it was almost too much control and Boris Johnson didn't like that but since Dominic Cummings and co left I think you hear repeatedly from supporters of Boris Johnson that they feel as though there's not enough grip there's not a pol- enough political judgment I think the evidence that's coming out around this and even the idea that the Prime Minister didn't know what was going on but yet his PPS and others were sanctioning things in his name is negative for him. Talking about Boris Johnson's position and some of the the work that those around him are doing now, James, one of the things that is coming out of a lot of the the meetings with the Prime Minister's uh, shadow whipping operation and the MPs who Boris Johnson is trying to get back on side ahead of the publication of the Sue Gray report whenever it comes, is that a lot of them want the national insurance rise in April to be scrapped. Uh, We've got calls from the Treasury Select Committee uh, on that front today. How likely is it uh, that that's going to happen? I think there's an interesting question here, the distinction between delayed and cancelled. So this national insurance rise is then turns into the NHS and social care levy. That is meant to be the long-term way that Boris Johnson's social care policy designed. It doesn't do this perfectly, but designed so that people don't have to sell their homes to pay for care. Now, you could, I think, delay it for a year without saying that you have no mechanism for funding social care. You just say, look, we're not, we, we, we're the, the, because borrowing has come in lower than expected, we're going to use the money we save from that to fund the NHS catch-up work. And then next year, this rise will come in and hopefully some of the cost of living pressures will have eased. I mean, even that brings with it risks because... The inflationary environment is clear that the risk of inflation is on the upside. The risk is that interest rates rise, the cost of servicing the UK's debt increases, and any improvement in public, any kind of public finances looking better than they currently are, could could very rapidly disappear. I also think there is a kind of there is a kind of question here, which is I think it is a sign of the weakness of the prime minister's position that what was in September. His flagship policy is now something that number 10 are kind of clearly kind of trying to preserve some level of kind of option open. They don't want to tell Tory MPs, no, no, this is this is happening. We're not listening to you on this. Uh, And so which I think is difficult. I think it is. This is one of the questions, which is, you know, does the prime minister have the political strength right now to do things that large groups of his MPs don't like? I'm dubious of that. But I think what the national insurance increase is, is difficult, is you get rid of it. And yes, you please a bunch of Tory MPs, but you also alarm another bunch of Tory MPs who have been pushing for a sustainable solution to social care for some years and thought that they had something that wasn't that wasn't ideal, but something that did a, a, a bit of a job. And so I think that, you know, that, that there, there isn't an easy answer to this question for Boris Johnson. You know, if all he is worrying about is what might trigger people to send in letters, there are dangers on both sides of this venture. I think it's interesting if you're looking at the pressure Boris Johnson is on to change how he operates. Um, because, again, we're not talking about the report today because the report is not out. One day it may emerge, maybe while we're also alive. Um, but ultimately, it does feel as though this week, I think support for Boris Johnson has improved slightly. I definitely think those around Boris Johnson sound more confident. However, I think it's hard to place too much weight on that judgment when 
the contents of this report, which is clearly bad enough to trigger a police investigation, isn't public yet. But if you just take that in mind, the problem is Boris Johnson is effectively now getting so many demands from MPs who sense a weakness and think they can use this as an opportunity to get their agenda through. How is that going to impact things? So one is obviously to become more right-wing, and I think you're seeing with the NI. You also have David Frost today, so his former advisor, on social media praising a Telegraph as to Heath article saying, this is completely right, and quoting the part which is saying, you know, we must oust number 10 of the green fanatics, um, the woke warriors. Um, <laughs> whoever could they be referring to? Um, and ultimately, so so you're starting to see almost lots of people saying, oh, he can definitely stay, but if on the condition the Tory party becomes my ideal Tory party and there's not going to be enough consensus on that and I think you're also seeing in terms of this number 10 shake-up so we know that Boris Johnson has talked about doing a cull of his of Downing Street once that report comes in I think there is an expectation management problem there in the sense that I think lots of MPs think this is going to be very very drastic and those closer to Boris Johnson are a bit skeptical what he's planning to do is going to match that so is he going to say goodbye to Martin Reynolds? And all this could be complicated by the police investigation, so it'd be more delayed. Ultimately, the civil servant who sent that email inviting everyone to enjoy the sunshine, BYOB, could he potentially say goodbye to Dan Rosenfeld as chief of staff? That definitely is being pushed around. And I would say Dan Rosenfeld isn't particularly respected, but also speaking to MPs, I don't get the sense that they see him as the main problem in 10 Downing Street. Lots of people think he's a bit inept, but ultimately he wasn't around at the time of most of these parties. He's almost come in later, but is now apparently the scapegoat. But Dan Rosen was brought in in the first place to fix a problem, which was now Dominic Cummings has gone, who's going to be in charge? So if you just remove Dan Rosenfield, I think what MPs want be a new appointment to replace that, particularly I think there's a push for someone on the right of the party, so it's where you hear Linton Crosby, which James has written about, David Canzini, there's some talk of David Frost. And I think that there's going to, I think that if Boris Johnson doesn't do something like that, you're quickly going to see all these MPs who are saying, oh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because we're going to get this and this. They're going to start saying, well, I'm not getting what I want. Actually, you're going back to old ways. So I think he's on really tricky territory, even if he doesn't have a confidence vote. Do you know what I mean? Even if you avoid that completely, or you get to a situation who wins it, I'm not sure how he's going to match lots of the expectations, which are getting quite quite extreme amongst MPs of how different things are going to be. There's also a problem here, which is, if Boris Johnson kind of shakes up Downing Street and sacks a whole bunch of his staff, that might well be necessary to to ensure his political survival in the short term. But it doesn't make the prospect of applying for a job in his Downing Street particularly attractive. And this is always a problem for governments as time go on, right? They find it harder to recruit new people because you know they have churned through staff and it's less attractive to go in when the Prime Minister has a reduced amount of political capital and political authority than it would have been to go in, say, in December 2019 when he was riding high. And I think this, this is another problem that they are going to have to contend with, which is, you know, the, the, you know Tory MPs waiting for kind of superstar names, like kind of, you know, expectant uh, Newcastle United fans. With their, their, you know, it might turn out that the names don't automatically make people go oh my god it's, it's one of these names of people that Katie was suggesting some you know of whom people have heard of and that doesn't have the kind of oh it's all going to be all right now 
feel to it. Because going into Downing Street is obviously, you know, it's, it's a privilege. It's also very hard work, but it's also something that a lot of people think about uh, their future when they're choosing that job as well. And you've got people today who are still trading on the fact they worked for Tony Blair. I think you've got fewer people who are trading on the fact that they worked for uh, Gordon Brown, for instance. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. <laughs>